started reading book after book, Andrew Murray and uh, uh, A.T. Pearson, these various ones that I mentioned to you, I started reading them. And uh, they were all saying that you need to know the difference between a fact and a promise. And I would scratch my head and thought, what in the world are they talking about? And then I was reading the biography of Hopkins, this man I'm mentioning to you. And they gave an example of him at an inquirer's conversational meeting <laughs> where somebody asked the question, what's the difference between a fact and a promise you guys keep talking about? Of course, they worded that in whatever kind of English. But nonetheless, he began to answer that. And I'm reading this in his biography as the biographer who was a contemporary of him was just relating what happened in a scenario that he had been in. And that's when my eyes opened. A fact is a present reality. It's an is. We've dealt with this in other meetings. And a promise is a, poten a potentiality. It's a will be. And so there's the difference. Uh, both are wonderful. Uh, but uh, promises you need to ask for because they're not is yet. But facts you can just take. And so that's what we've emphasized. The truth of Romans 6, 7, and 8 is take truth because it's already there. If you're saved, this is already available. So let's look at this in pictorial form. We've talked about the unregenerated man. So here is the unsaved uh, man uh, pictured uh, in concentric circles. Uh, so uh, uh, some circles for some individuals are larger than others. <laughs> but uh, uh, I don't know if you caught what I said there. But nonetheless, <laughs> uh, this is the human constitution as body, soul, and spirit. So within our body is our soul. Uh, sometimes you hear the word self. It is the psyche, so body, physical, soul, psyche, psychological, spirit, spiritual. Uh, this is the constitution of the human being. Now, there are those theologically that only believe that there's two. And so they have a hard time with Romans 6, 7, and 8. But uh, at any rate, uh, and I'll talk about that in a moment as to why there is that debate. And I understand why there is. But uh, this is the unsaved condition. Uh, the old man we noted earlier this week, uh, we uh, understand that uh, the human spirit is the old man because of Romans 6, 6 telling us that the old man is who gets crucified with Christ. And obviously, uh, death in its practical essence, essence is separation, uh, just as in physical death when the soul separates from the body. Well, that hasn't happened. That lets us know that the old man who dies uh, is not dealing with soul body. It's dealing with spirit. And so here's our, our uh, pictorial version of the human constitution. Uh, we've talked about the triangle of the soul. And so you can see, though I don't have a triangle there, but you do have the three parts here, mind, affections, and will. Uh, the mind is where it all starts. Ideas come in, and uh, the ones we latch on to affect us. That produces emotions. That's why many psychologists will say mind, emotions, and will. I like the word affections better because if you can catch the concept of what truth you're understanding affecting you. Uh, there's your affections. And yes, that does produce uh, perhaps some involuntary emotions. All of that moves our will to make the choices that we make. Uh, but the affections, this is where the reckon word of Romans 6.11 uh, takes place. This is where you get uh, convinced. This is where you personalize. This is where you go from all believers or saints to I am. So this is the soul part of man. So in the unsaved condition, uh, this is a picture of what we're talking about. Not a lot of detail here, but any questions on this particular slide? All right. Let's go further. Isn't that cool? I didn't produce this, but <laughs> I think it's cool. <laughs> uh, uh, bringing in the different pieces at a different time. Okay, so now we see the unregenerated relationship. See, in order to die, there has to be a union that gets separated. 
So just as in the physical death, the immaterial separates from the material, okay, so for the spirit, for the old man to be crucified with Christ, to die to sin, as Romans 6.2 says, that means there is a union that's going to get broken. But prior to salvation, it's not broken. It's a relationship. It is a union, a bond, we might say. Uh, remember the uh, old master, that sin master. Uh, this is what we saw in Romans 7, sin which dwells in me. And so I'm just short shortening that Bible phrase to the two words, indwelling sin. Uh, this is what we talked about is when there's a trigger of temptation, even uh, uh, now, and we feel the pull. That's this guy. Uh, not sins as in actions, but this influence inside of us urging us to commit sins, to bow to that, uh, uh, cave in to that trigger of temptation. Now, in this condition, uh, there is a sense where God is on the outside. And so Ephesians 2.1 says that prior to salvation, you're dead in trespasses and sins. Now, many theologians, I think, get a wrong idea there, and so many people do, and they think of a corpse. But uh, again, the practical essence of death is separation. When it says dead in trespasses and sins, it's not a corpse. The guy's reveling in trespasses and sins. It's just simply telling us that prior to salvation, God's on the outside. We're dead to God. But now notice we're very much alive to sin, and thus we have the overlap in our picture here. We're separated from God because we are joined in a union, in a relationship with indwelling sin. And that relationship taints everything, everything an unsaved person does. Even the best, noblest, noblest humanitarian efforts of unsaved people are done in cahoots. <laughs> Where this sin master defiles it, shows that it's self-dependence, it can only produce self-righteousness. God calls it a filthy rag every time that falls short of the glory of God. And in that sense, unsaved people don't have good works, they have dead works because their works are separated from God who is life. To put it in the words of the inspired text in Ephesians, uh, in the unregenerated condition, this unregenerated relationship, we are alienated from the life of God. So there's the unregenerated relationship. This is what's got to get radically altered. Any questions here? All right. Let's move to the next slide then. This is my favorite. I <laughs> uh, got the idea of the cross coming in from A.J. Gordon, by the way, one of the founders of fundamentalism. Uh, but uh, uh, the Bible says that we're crucified with Christ. Romans 6, 6 tells us which part of us gets killed or crucified. And that's where we get that uh, uh, understanding that it's the old man. So according to Romans 6, 2, you died to sin. Well, we can't do that on our own. And so we saw in Romans 6.10 that Jesus died unto sin once. He died for our sins. That's the gospel of sinners. 
He died unto sin once. That's the gospel of saints. And when we believe on Jesus, we are baptized into Jesus. And when we're baptized into Jesus, we're baptized, placed into his history. That means we're placed into his death. And at that moment of belief in Jesus, that's when the cross comes in like a knife and severs this relationship. Uh, we've been chained and shackled to that old master. And this is when the cross, as it were, comes in like a knife and unshackles us, cutting through those chains so that Romans 6, 7 can say, he who has died has been freed from sin. There it is. There's your death with Christ unto sin. That's what we're talking about. When I was the age of these young people here, I'd hear these preachers say you're dead to sin. And I mean thinking, man, I don't feel dead to sin. I'm going to tell you something. At 60, I still don't feel dead to sin. But this is what happened. And regardless of what I feel, that is what happened. That's what it means. There is a separation that took place. And I'm going to tell you, that's phenomenal. When that first began to dawn across my mind about, I don't know, 20 years ago, it was like, wow, this is what it means to be dead. And uh, as I sometimes say, hanky-waving truth. But I know that maybe, well, Maya, well, you might know about that. You know, the first time I saw a hanky wave, it was in Missouri. It's not too far away. <laughs> I was actually preaching. I was on a Bob Jones ensemble. It was going way back, 19, uh, wow, 84 maybe. And uh, I'm preaching away. I've only got like 15 minutes. That's all they let us do. And this lady starts pulling out her hanky. And she, she just, she wouldn't throw it way up. She would just throw it up a little bit. <laughs> so that was the first time I uh, saw hanky-waving. I didn't understand about hanky-waving truth. Now, I have been in other meetings, like in Oklahoma City. Whoo! <laughs> those hankies are flying, man. <laughs> and uh, they're going like this, and, and a lot of hoop uh, hoo -hoo uh, hollering and so forth. But, when you actually understand this kind of truth, it's worth shouting about. It's actually worth, if you can't do it in front of anybody else, just go find some place where you can. <laughs> and shout! <laughs> you know, verbalizing is a good thing. You know, we started the week with the creative word of God. God spoke the world into existence. And there's something about verbalization that sometimes gets us past the mechanical idea or concept of faith to actual faith. And so it's a good thing. And so uh, it doesn't hurt to go out in the woods and praise the Lord. I am not shackled to that sin master any longer. I have been set free. And so that's what we're talking about. That is the moment of salvation, as it were, pictured in this particular slide. Any questions on this? So, either this means the teaching was so clear and so good, you don't have questions, <laughs> or it was so bad, you don't know what to ask. <laughs> Any thoughts, comments? Insights. <laughs> I mean, yes. Would you equate old master in one extent? Oftentimes we use the term sin nature, the Adamic nature. Would you qualify those as co equals or do you see a delineation? Okay, that's a great question. I had a pastor's wife ask me that, and it has produced this massive document that I have now written. I've tried to preach it, but it doesn't preach well. <laughs> uh, but here's the bottom line in the unsaved condition, there are three negative components. Two, two personifications, as it were, and one turf. So in the unsaved, and we see it all right here, in the unsaved condition, there is the old man, that's 
the old us, the unregenerated human spirit. There's the old master, the sin master, indwelling sin. And then there's the turf of the flesh. So the flesh sometimes is used neutrally, uh, like in Galatians 2.20, uh, but often it's used negatively, and it's both the soul and body level. So remember, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. Sin, that's who. Flesh, that's where. And Galatians 5 tells us that the works of the flesh are manifest, and some of them would be like moral sins that would be body level, and some would be soul sins like uh, envy and jealousies. And so the flesh, works of the flesh are on both of these levels. So what about sin nature? Now, the word nature is used often in the Bible, but we never see the words put together, old nature. We never see the words new nature. Uh, the closest we come to it is that there is a phrase on the unsafe side of it that we were by nature the children of wrath. And then on the positive side, it talks about being partakers of the divine nature. So that's why in this week you have not heard me use the terminology old nature. Because which one, which entity are we talking about? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't tell us. Uh, so if it's this, then that part, as we're going to see in a moment, he leaves. But if you say you, you don't have an old nature anymore, everybody's going to think they're going to misunderstand you and think you're teaching sinless perfection. Uh, if the old nature is this guy, well, obviously we're going to see that he still hangs around. Obviously the flesh is still around. we still got a soul and body. Uh, so it just depends. But prior to salvation, there's three components. Old man, indwelling sin, and the flesh on the soul and body level. That is going to reduce to two components in the next slide. So let's just go there because your question takes us there. Unless somebody has another question in this regard before we get there. All right, let's go ahead and get there. <laughs> it's not going. There we go. Um, okay, there's more to come. But just as just, just strictly on this level, the regenerated man, uh, we have uh, still body, soul, and spirit, but the spirit is now new man. So let's go ahead and get to that regenerated relationship, which gives, gives us the detail. Ta-da! <laughs> That's the hanky-waving part right there. <laughs> now, so notice there's no more old man. Where is he? He's gone <laughs> forever. So if he's the old nature, then we don't have an old nature. If the old nature is indwelling sin, yeah, he's still hanging around here. Because even, regardless of how long you've been saved, when there's a trigger temptation, you feel the pull. That's that guy. He's still there. And obviously, we still have a soul and body. We have the turf of the flesh where that old master seeks to operate. So, um, but you notice, though, the negative components are now reduced from three to two. And now there's two positive components. There's the new man and, of course, the new master. And the word I'm using now is new leader. The Holy Spirit has moved in to lead and empower from the core of our being. But uh, that, uh, that's what we're looking at. So old nature has been reduced if we're just talking about the whole picture. So part of it just depends on what we're referring to if we use that terminology. But does that make sense? There's the three parts reduced to two. 
The spirit part is where the radical change takes place. The old man dies with Christ, and as you see here, he's raised with Christ the new man. There had to be a spot made holy so that the Holy Spirit could move in. And the new man, we're told in Ephesians 4.24, is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. That is why you are called a saint. Because the new man is God's seed. We talked about that. God's nature implanted into you. Um, God's seed uh, God's DNA implanted into you, and uh, there had to be a part made holy. That's where the Holy Spirit moved in. And so notice now, in this condition, we're separated from sin. See, that's where we died to sin, and now we're separated from sin because we're joined to God, and uh, that's just why we are dead to sin and very much alive to God. So prior to salvation, we were dead to God, alive to sin. Now we're dead to sin and alive to God. Radical change. We used to be separated from God, joined to sin. Now we're separated from indwelling sin and joined to God. And 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So just like you have husband and wife, one flesh, you have regenerated spirit, new man, Holy Spirit, new leader, one spirit. And so we have been severed from indwelling sin and sealed in relationship with the indwelling Christ. And uh, that's phenomenal. It's, uh, it's an amazing provision. So God's life moves in in a twofold sense. His nature is implanted and his spirit is indwelling. The power that we need comes from the Holy Spirit. The doorway is the regenerated spirit because it's God's divine life. See, this new man is the real you. That's why you're a saint, even on your worst day. Because <laughs> that part of you is still righteous and holy, even on your worst day. That's the part that 1 John 3, 9 says, cannot sin. That's what it says. God's nature cannot sin. Now, we can ignore that part, and yep, we commit sins. But that's why Paul said in Romans 7, the identity theft, that when he did commit a sin, it wasn't him, but sin that dwells in him. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> not I, but sin. Now, it's not a cop-out because we're responsible. But the fact is, the real us, God's seed in us, that's why Jesus is called the second man. He's the last Adam taking all the sins of the race to the cross. He's the second man starting the new race with his seed, his nature implanted into us. And uh, that part uh, is, is God's nature. And when we obey the Holy Spirit, then obviously we, we, we experience his righteousness. And that's why 1 John 3, 6 says, three verses earlier from the verse that talks about God's seed, that when we abide, which is your picturesque word for dependence, when we abide in him, we do not sin because there's a part of us that cannot. And so when we abide in him, when we yield to him, then his power, and we'll see a picture here in a moment, uh, counteracts and overcomes, and that's when we do not sin. It's interesting, Brother Sean, in regard to your question. I do often refer to this part of us as God's nature implanted into us. 
So if we're going to be consistent, that would mean the old man is the old nature. But if you, you know, out in the public world, if you say the old nature is gone, everybody thinks you're teaching sinless perfection. We're not because we still got these other negative components. Does that make sense? Uh, maybe not. Uh, but uh, at any rate, in other words, we're not talking about sinless perfection. We're talking about a sinless provision. The new man, and more importantly, or most importantly, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in you. That is a sinless provision. Has to be. His name is Jesus. Okay, so we know we don't always yield to him, and we don't always access that, and therefore we don't always experience that. So we're not talking about sinless perfection. I don't know why people get bent out of shape about this. Oh, man, they do. Big time. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, it's amazing the controversy that flies out there. But uh, I'm thinking, why is everybody worried about sinless perfection? They should be more worried about sinful imperfection. Don't you think? <laughs> uh but uh, it's not sinless perfectionism, it's sinless provision. And the old authors were very, very careful in how they taught this and uh, so forth because the Bible actually is very specific in what it says. This new man is created, new creation, after God, God's seed, in righteousness and true holiness. That part can't sin, it's righteous. And uh, so forth. And so that's why we need to abide but this is our provision. I love it. Any questions here? Comments, thoughts? Yes. All right. Oh, that's by accident, but that's an interesting thought. That's just where the graphics designer put them. <laughs> um, yeah, that's where he starts. For sure, um, but obviously he's influencing all of it. So it's you know how do you picture that all the way around? Yeah, but uh, by the way, any designers in here? I'm very open to new 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 design pictures because uh, the Roman series is going into print, Lord willing, in the next year or so, and I want to get these designs enhanced. <laughs> so uh, at any rate. That's a good, uh, good thought, though. Yeah, in the pictures of these diagrams, it's always in the mind, but I think that was by accident. But that is where things start. The mind, then they, you get affected, and then you make choices. Good. Yes. Yes, Dean. Okay. This is a great question. Great question, because you are hearing it that way, and it's because that's how it's worded in Ephesians 4 um, in the translation. There's a parallel passage that states it differently, though it's the same basic verb tenses, and that is in Colossians 3. And in Colossians 3, uh, it's the same truth as Ephesians 4. It's just easier to understand in the English translation in Colossians 3. There, it's, it tells you to put off certain things because you have put off the old man. 
and to put on certain things because you have put on the new man. So that helps us out. Since you have put off the old man, that happened the moment you got saved, now put off all that he's about. And since you have put on the new man, now put on all that he's about. Now you saw the simplicity of that phrase in Ephesians and be renewed. It's in the present tense but in the passive voice. Allow yourself to be renewed or be being renewed. <laughs> in other words, the Holy Spirit's working on this all the time. Just yield. <laughs> uh, in other words, allow that renewing because he brings you right back to Jesus if you look to him. Then obviously, as the new leader, he's going to lead us right back to Jesus every time. Uh, it is interesting in the uh, English, in uh, uh, Colossians, it says mortify, put to death, and it names stuff. And that's where it ends with, since you have put off the old man. Okay, so here's how it works. This guy, we got severed from, but he's still connected to our flesh. So back in the former pictures, when, oh, they're moving slow. At any rate, when we were connected to indwelling sin, let me get back there. Right here. Then that's how we were connected to our own flesh. The core of our being, the spirit. Oh man, come on man. <laughs> Technology. <laughs> um, does I have to do more clicks? No. There we go. Uh, so prior to salvation, okay. So the old man, the, our core, the old us, the real us, prior to salvation, we were connected to indwelling sin. He's connected to our body. Now, when we get saved, we get disconnected through the cross. Okay. And now the Holy Spirit moves in. Come on. There we go. But indwelling sin is still connected to our body. So remember the, the good guy with a gun? bad guy with a gun thing. Okay, so when we put, say, for instance, our tongue into the hands of indwelling sin, immediately the power of the flesh rises again. But when we yield to the spirit, the power of the flesh is deprived of its power because <laughs> we're severed. And so that's what Colossians is telling us. That's how you mortify. That's how... You deprive the flesh of its power but not, by not yielding to that sin master. Because the moment you put your ears or your tongue or your hands or your eyes into his hands, the moment you yield to this master who's not your master, all of a sudden all the power of the flesh comes right back. And that's why people fall just like that. <laughs> that's why we fall just like that. When we yield to that sin master, all of a sudden the power of whatever sin issue is there let's say anger, uh, and blowing your stack, and then all of a sudden all that power comes back. But as long as you're looking at Jesus, that's at bay. It's like there's a, an unseen filter <laughs> that, that puts this, it's at bay. It's deprived of its power, knowing this, that the old man was crucified with Jesus, that the body of this indwelling sin master might be deprived of its power so that we don't serve him. And so it's only when we choose to yield to him that all that power is felt and yep we blow our stack say other things that we shouldn't say and so forth but uh, the wording in Colossians 3 is helpful from the verb tense standpoint it's clear it's more clearly understood over there than it is in Ephesians 4 
though it's really the same? That's a great question, though. Any other questions on this? All right, let's get to the next slide here. Which way do I need to point this thing? Ah, here we go. So that's what we're talking about. We make choices. This is the choice of faith or the choice of unbelief. <laughs> and so we yield to one master or the other. When we yield to the sin master, that's when the flesh dominates and the works of the flesh are manifest and unsaved flesh and saved flesh looks the same and that's when we look like what we're not. Tragic, isn't it? But when we yield to the new leader, then the Holy Spirit is in the dominant role. Now, if we were to take this diagram and turn it this way, it would look like a line. Are you with me? <laughs> in other words, if we were to take this and flip it this way, all you'd see was, is the line. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, imagine that line, but imagine all the other circles on the inside like a slinky. And you guys still use slinkies? Or have, you know what a slinky is? Okay. I mean, I remember when a slinky, a slinky was new. <laughs> but uh, this is what it's going to look like with the slinky effect, depending on which way we yield. Ah, there we go. So there's that line now. When you yield to the old sin master, then flesh is dominant. And people might not even know that you're saved. That's why there's a debate between dichotomy and trichotomy. When we walk in the flesh, we look like two parts. When you walk in the spirit, then you look like three. Uh, the old writers put it this way. When Adam and Eve sinned, the spirit fell into the soul. Uh, when you get saved, then that is brought back out. And then when you walk by faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the... And that's how the word divides asunder between soul and spirit. Because when you're walking in the Spirit, you're accessing the Holy Spirit, and now He's uh, in that dominant position, uh, ruling over the soul and body the way God intended for it to be. Isn't that wonderful? And thus the Word is living, quick, and powerful, sharper than any two its piercing even to the divine center of soul and spirit. Why? Because the Word is the foundation of faith, and that accesses the Spirit. So when we walk in the flesh, uh, people just see that. The spirit part of us is hidden. As Ian Thomas says, we imprison the Son of God in our chest. We hide him. We block the glory. People don't see Jesus. But when you're walking in the spirit, ah, yes. It's still your physical body, still your physical face, but there's this aura. There's this glow, there's this radiance, there's this fragrance. You know, these are all Bible images. There's Jesus. That's why my father used to say spirit-filled people are attracted to each other, and the attraction is Christ. Because in this condition, he's seen. Not physically, but spiritually, and just as real as if it were physical. Like that lady I saw, never seen before in my life, had a post office somewhere in Kansas. And I thought, man, that lady's got to know Jesus. She's got Jesus all over her face. And so I got to talk to her, and sure enough, she's born-again Christian. Wow. She goes, how did you know? <laughs> see, Moses wist not that his face shone. All those that are thinking, everybody see Jesus, <laughs> are not seeing Jesus. But, uh, you know, when you're walking in the Spirit, 
That's the walk of humility. You're resting in him. You're trusting him. You're yielding to him. It's denying self, uh, taking up your cross, following him. All of that's the same truth, and that's when Jesus is actually seen, and he's actually heard, and he's actually felt. And my father used to say when I, that when he gets to heaven, I remember, of course, he's there now. 25 years ago this month, my father, don't be the Lord. Uh, but he, I remember him saying, ah, oh, when I get to heaven, and I look on Jesus, and he looks at me, I'm going to think, you know what? I've seen that look before. And you know, when he actually speaks to me, I'm going to think, you know what? I've heard that voice before. And oh, when he reaches out and he touches me, I'm going to know I have felt that touch before through the lives of spirit-filled believers. Hallelujah. That's what we're talking about. When that's the case, by the way, any questions on this? When that is the case, here's the overcoming life. As you take the provision and act, as we saw last night, you partake of the divine nature. This is how you grow in grace, as the Holy Spirit imparts the life of Christ to your soul and body. Now that arrow could be every direction in this circle but the point is, that's the life of Christ in you imparted to you. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. There it is. And as we experience Jesus, we experience his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, and so on. That's the overcoming life. There's your counteraction where his life counteracts and overcomes, uh, like in the glasses illustration and so on. And... Uh, even though there's that sin master here, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed us from this law of sin and death. But it gets even better because Jesus can flow through you, not just to you. And so John 7, again, through simple faith, rivers of living water, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, but this spake he of the Spirit. <laughs> what a passage. And so now you're experiencing Jesus not for you, but for them around you. That's ultimately what it's got to get to. Uh, experiencing Christ's abundant life for those around you, whether it's your marriage, your children, obviously the gospel, and so on. And by the way, this is the dynamic, the spillover. When Jesus is seen, heard, felt, and your witness, obviously you need to preach the right words. It's the right gospel. It's not how fancy you say it. It's that that life is emanating, flowing out of you. And when people hear that message of Jesus, they're actually seeing the Jesus of the message. And that is what gives the gospel power. And that's why you don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer to be a good soul winner. You just have to learn to access the sharpest knife in the drawer. The spirit of Jesus. And so there's the overflowing life. Questions? Comments? Well, you, it's... Relationship with God, and, and he just, I mean, it's 
seems kind of funny that I can do anything through the old man. Well, the old man is gone. Okay, so that's the center part of us. Because the new man is here, where's the old man? He's gone. So the old man died with Christ, raised the new man. So that's why Colossians makes it so clear. You're putting off what that old man was about because you have put off the old man. In other words, there's a programming that's still resident, maybe is a word I could use, in our flesh. And so that's why if we put our, our bodily members, our body parts, if we yield to this sin master, then all that old programming comes back up and there's that power of the flesh. But the whole point is the old man is gone. Now the old master is still hanging around. So often that's what gets confused, and I'm slicing it thin, so if you get confused, don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the fact of the matter is the old man is gone, and so since he is gone, since he has been put off the moment you got saved, now put off all, the he, put off all that he's about by not yielding to the sin master. And then all that he's about lays uh, latent, it's, there's no power. It's deprived of its power. We're still in the sin-cursed body. Yeah, it can rise to anger. It can rise to all sorts of sins very quickly if we yield to the sin master. But since we have put off the old man, then we're not connected to that sin master. We don't have to yield to him. We are connected to Jesus. He doesn't force us, but when we choose Jesus, that means you're not yielding to the sin master, which means you're putting off all that he was about. And over time, as you walk by faith, the habits of caving in are replaced by habits of faith. So bad habits are acquired. We're not born with them. We acquire them before we're saved and even after we're saved by making wrong choices. But old bad acquired habits can be replaced with new good acquired habits as we yield to the Spirit, because we don't have to bow to that sin master any longer. Great question. Does that make sense? So since the old man is gone, and he's not forced to that slavery to the sin master, then you just yield to Jesus, and the sin master is deprived of his power. And the flesh is. Any other comments? Yes, Judy. Oh, okay. If I can get this thing to work. There we go. So that's Christ in you to you. That last slide is Christ in you through you out to others. One is holiness. Christ in you to you. See, holiness is not a set of things. It's the holy one. <laughs> and then you'll have the right set of things. <laughs> uh, and then... Uh, uh, service would be the last slide, Christ through you. So the old uh, writers would talk about the spirit-filled life for holiness and service. In other words, that's, that's what flows out, but the focus is on the life. Yes. Yes. And I've heard you, 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 and I've heard
it's, it's, an, it's an illustration word, uh, but it is amazing because there's three cell-to-cell um, -cell communication centers, I'm told, in the human body. There's obviously the brain, there's the physical heart, and there's the kidneys. <laughs> and so that's why in the Bible it talks about you know, sometimes kidneys, bowels, whatever, right? It's, it, then other times it's talking about heart, and other times, it, you know, the, the brain. Okay, so in the formation of a baby in the womb, the communication in the heart, cell-to-cell -cell communication, the brain of the heart functions before the brain of the brain. This is very interesting. The electronic field in the heart, I think it's five times more, something like that, than the brain, and the magnetic field is... What is it, like 400 times more, something like that, than the brain is just amazing. Thus, the illustration. So what happens here, I was looking for that slide. Uh, where, that one, no, I just passed it up. Bummer. Um, any rate, where the, where the choice thing is. Okay, so what happens is, as I said on Sunday, the heart is the summation of the soul. It's the, rec the, the reflection of the soul. If I could get this. Guys, can you make the, go back one slide to that, where the red uh, arrows are? The previous slide, I think it's, there we go, right there. Okay, whoop, one more. Uh, so we have these thoughts come into our mind, but there's ones we, that we latch on to. They affect us, and when we're affected, okay, that would be over here, it moves our will to the choices we make. The summation of that is the heart. Okay, so we have a lot of thoughts come into our mind over here. Uh, the ones we latch on to affect us, and there's your emotional push. Uh, you're affected now to the choices you make, okay? So it's what we really believe. In other words, what we latch on to, what we really believe. Not what we say we believe, but what we really believe is what then affects us, and we choose either sin or Jesus. That's a heart choice. It's what we are what we really believe choice. Um, so as a man thinks in his heart, that actually is the word soul. <laughs> That's what gets so confusing about this in Proverbs. Uh, as a man thinks in his soul, as a man thinks in his soul, his thinking process, his grid of how he operates, what he really believes. And then the next verse says, for his heart is not with you. So the heart in Proverbs 23 is labeling the thinking in your soul, the whole what you really believe and therefore how your thought process plays out, the choices you make, that's the heart. So it is the summation of the soul. It is the reflection of the soul. It's what we really believe. Does that make any sense? <laughs> I've been chewing on that one. I've preached on it once. It's a total dud, so we're working on it. <laughs> yes. escape himself. Beautiful. Um, but the heart is an interesting word because I studied it in grad school and I gave up. I said, I don't get it. There's too many nuances, too many different Hebrew words underneath this, and sometimes this, sometimes this. But I got back into it two years ago. 
And, uh, and it, it kind of paved the way for where we went Sunday night because thy word have I hid in my heart, not just my mind. So it's going beyond the mind so that we're affected, we're convinced this is really true, and therefore we choose. And thus, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin. Why? Because we made the right choice. Anything? definitely illustrative because even physiologically there's 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 a lot of you know that that electric field magnetic field there's there's wow there's a lot there called the heart not just what happens in the brain so it's a beautiful word in that sense (laughs) 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 you know my wife said john why don't you give your organs and i well what if what if they're more valuable to somebody else than me? <laughs> then God sent you out of here. <laughs> Very selfish. Uh, any other thoughts or comments? Yeah, where it says, with the heart man believes to salvation, yeah. I might be phrasing that not quite yeah. exactly with the word. But with the heart man believes, because that's where it ha- and it's got to involve the entire soul. The whole function of the soul is the heart in that sense because everything's coming into play here. Not just the mind, but you're convinced, you're affected. And that produces emotional responses that help move the will 